At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Tuesday night edition of the Dunktown Basketball Podcast. Got to hit some news real quick. Some interesting stuff. Uh, executive hirings again in Orlando. Some news on, on Chris Bosh. Opt-ins, opts-outs. Then that Boston-Cleveland game four. Kyrie Irving, unbelievable game. Playoff career high, 42 points. LeBron James with a bounce back as well as expected. And then the big one, Markel Fultz. Projected number one overall pick. We're going to get into a scouting report on him. Danny and I watched a ton of film on him over the last couple of days. We're sponsored today by our friends at Blinkist. Over 2,000 of the best-selling nonfiction books transformed into powerful packs you can read or listen to in just 15 minutes. Blinkist.com slash Couchspace, B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. That's how you get started with them. And Harry's Shave, harrys.com slash Couchspace right, right now will deliver a special offer for fans of this show, $5 off one of their shave sets at harrys.com slash Capspace. So let's start with some news here, Danny. What do we got? I think the place to start is with something you and I have followed for a long time and has got some news, which is from Ira Winderman about Miami and Chris Bosh that it sounds like, and this is something Albert Namad has has done a great job on over the past few months, that the two sides are coming to an agreement which is kind of going to exist parallel to, but sort of outside the CBA in order to resolve the situation before the new CBA kicks in. Yeah, under the old CBA, the issue was that if Bosch were removed from the heat salary cap by a long-term injury exclusion, which a a neutral doctor uh, basically said that he couldn't play anymore. If he played 25 games for another team, then his money would come right back onto the heat's books. And he still has two years left on that five-year max deal that he signed in the summer of 2014. That's unlikely that he would play that for another team, but also, and it wouldn't happen of course, until after they use their cap space this summer, but it still could really mess up the heat's books in the future. And so the new CBA based on the fact that Bosch had this issue with the heat uh, deals with things in a different way that again we don't need to get into too much of the detail there because it'll take out the show but essentially now in what is going to be apparently a hybrid solution between the new CBA process and the old CBA process they are going to come to an agreement by which if Bosch does play for another team his salary will not return to the heat's book so uh, the heat of course did not waive him prior to, to March 1st because then he could have gone on to, to play for another team. And if he had, he played 25 games for them. 
then he could have come back on their books as soon as this summer so now though Bosch will have his freedom if in fact he can find a team that wants to sign him and if in fact he can manage this condition that you know obviously has been uh, very disappointing for him and very difficult to deal with but also life-threatening yeah you don't want to lose sight of the bigger parts of this I mean this is a a, an issue that is very serious but he has two years 52 million about left on his contract and Miami was in a tough place if they hadn't gotten this money cleared because their team is going to get a lot is going to get even more expensive after this summer because next year Tyler Johnson goes from being a relatively low six million dollars about 5.9 to 19 million because under the old CBA if you retained a player who was who had an offer sheet using the arenas provision you had to pay him on that payment structure so they don't have as much space in 2018 as they do in 17 and they only have that space in 17 if they clear Chris Bosch and by the way what a remarkable performance by the heat over the last three years considering that their highest paid player didn't play for basically two full seasons out of three and didn't finish any of those seasons I mean, pretty impressive that they're able to be as competitive as they were considering that more news mark spears at espn i mean we'd seen a lot of signals on this such as kd already being announced as doing a warriors camp in september but uh mark spears directly asked him if he'd be playing for the warriors next season and he said quote yeah i love it here i love my teammates and you know probably wouldn't want to leave either if i'd just been on a team that had the greatest run to the nba finals ever uh you know maybe things could totally melt down somehow in the finals and everyone hates each other but uh it seems seems pretty darn it unlikely and well and so we now ta- yeah the only Sorry, question well, is yeah, yeah. Go ahead. well we'll talk about this more at a, at a later date the big question is will he take less money for the coming season in order to facilitate bringing other players back we don't need to go into it too much but that that is kind of the big question with it and i guess that's a, a different question than some people thought we would be discussing going into july first uh in pretty obvious opt-ins and opt-outs paul Millsap savily signed a two plus one he is opted out or will be with the hawks and then most Bates had signed a two-year deal at the minimum with a second year player option he will be opting out as well see if he can improve on that or at least get a slight raise from the clippers as well and then josh mcroberts who signed a star-crossed deal for four years at the full mid-level exception a three plus one which i mean he had was coming off a year as a very solid starter in charlotte thought that he would be able to give the heat something over these last three years just has not been able to stay remotely healthy all sorts of foot and knee problems surgeries of various types really has been although he gamely played on a broken foot last year in the playoffs it just has not been able to be effective and would not make the six million dollars that he is scheduled to make next season if he were on the open market so a smart move by him to opt in and we could see the heat try to move him or potentially stretch him as well depending on how well they do at getting into uh the free agent market this season yeah and they could all uh, they don't really have a ton of future assets to really dump his contract unless they had a really good reason in that case they could certainly make something happen but then the other interesting big piece of news is on the front office side and that is john hammond who until today was the general manager of the milwaukee bucks is leaving the bucks to take the same role with the orlando magic he's going to be working with jeff weltman who was just hired to be their president of basketball operations and this concludes a very interesting sag in Milwaukee Hammond 
was under fire uh, had been around for a while i think he is the one who did that jj reddick trade uh the tobias for tobias harris that was kind of a disaster uh but he's had some really nice moves as well getting chris middleton and brandon knight for brandon jennings that was pretty awesome of a trade drafting Giannis out of the kumpo thon maker although justin zanuck was there by the time that they drafted him was pretty good malcolm brogdon i mean he's had a pretty darn good record actually uh some kind of ugly free agent signings as well they've had some misses the trade of night for michael carter williams is certainly a miss as well but you'll remember of course that during that time it seemed like jason kidd was actually wielding more personnel power and then that now has been removed after the failure of the Carter-Williams move. And then they brought in Justin Zanuck from the Jazz. Zanuck, a former agent uh, with Andy Miller at ASM Sports, then joined the Jazz. And he came over to Milwaukee. He actually had a contract that basically said he would start being paid like a, a top decision maker within a couple of years. I think they were just going to kind of, the plan was to sunset John Hammond. So Hammond technically was still had the final say on basketball decisions, but it was an odd situation with Zanuck in waiting, much the way Bob Myers was brought into Golden State and was not actually made the official decision maker right away when he came in. But it it seemed like Hammond was going to either be shunted into a role where he wasn't the primary decision maker or would leave the organization. And now getting the chance to get a five-year deal in Orlando as general manager below Jeff Weltman, who is coming over from the Toronto Raptors that seems like a pretty darn good deal for him and and to to get some more security when it seemed like you know he wasn't going to be the guy going forward in Milwaukee especially because he actually predated as GM uh the Lazary and Eden's ownership something else that I think is an interesting part of Hammond's time in Milwaukee is that he's done a very good job not uniformly but nobody ever does with second round picks early on in his tenure his first draft they got Lucas and Bob Mute, later on Jody Meeks, John Lure, those guys are all still in the NBA. And Orlando, you know, they have some high-end picks of their own, but they also have these two second round picks from the Lakers beyond their own. And if they can hit on one or maybe even two of those, then that can help build some of the foundation that Orlando needs in terms of cost control and quality for their next good team, whenever the heck that happens. Yeah, and clearly both Weltman, Toronto's had some success with, with some hits late in the draft. Hammond hit some of the hits that he's had late in the draft that seems to be the appeal to orlando and ceo alex martins and and the devos family that they need guys who can succeed in the draft because you know i wouldn't say that rob hennigan's record was terrible you know other than hazonia he hasn't had any total misses you know oladipo turned out to be okay and and was better than the guys drafted below him probably and Alfred Payton, you know, he's been looking like a borderline starter. Maybe he'll get there. Maybe he won't with the number 10 pick, although it was a bad deal to trade back their 2017, uh, trade Philly's 2017 pick back to them. That would have been a pretty nice pick as it turned out And in that deal. And Aaron Gordon, you know, again, probably looking like a better draft pick than like Dante Exum or Marcus Smart or Julius Randle below him. So that's not a bad pick either, but they still didn't come anywhere close to getting a superstar. Uh, And then obviously the, the profligate spending free agency and the Serge Ibaka trade ended up being the death knell for Hennigan. Anything else or uh, can we move on to Boston and Cleveland? I'm still a little bit sad that you unprompted brought up Hazonia, but other than that, we can move on. 
yeah and let's move on in fact to blinkist blinkist is a really cool idea in fact i'm not going to say that they stole my idea because i never did anything to actually put this into action but i used to read a fair amount of nonfiction books or listen to nonfiction books and i just i felt like they were too inefficient basically that if you're reading nonfiction, you're not gonna you, you can't take away an entire 200 pages worth of information or 500 pages worth of information that you just are going to have at your beck and call it that's just not realistic and nonfiction, a lot of it is not particularly entertaining you're reading it for the key insights that you can take away to improve your life to gain more knowledge so what blinkist does is they take over 2,000 of the best selling nonfiction books and they transform into powerful packs you can read or listen to which i like the, the best in just 15 minutes i've actually even told a bunch of my friends who, who love reading nonfiction and are always trying to improve their lives about this even outside of this podcast and i think it's great for them i think it'd be great for anyone really who loves to, to learn more I mean, think of if you have a 45 minute commute you get through three books that, that would be amazing you just focus on these key ideas they have books like how champions think or shoe dog mindful athlete how to win at the sport of, of business blinkist gives you more knowledge in less time big ideas in small packages so right now blinkist has a special offer just for our audience if you go to blinkist.com b-l-i-n-k-i-s-t.com slash cap space right now you can start your free trial or you could get three months off a yearly plan when you join today once again that's blinkist.com slash cap space cap space easy to remember because we talk about it on the program so often once again blinkist.com slash cap space that'll get you your free trial or three months off a yearly plan when you join today so when boston led this 57 47 did you think there was any chance at, at halftime that they're actually going to pull this off and go back to boston tied at 2-2 i certainly thought there was a chance i didn't think they were necessarily the favorites in it because they had awfully close to a perfect storm in that first half the most shocking part of that was lebron james getting not only in foul trouble but getting in deep foul trouble and sitting out the last 645 of the second quarter due to getting his fourth foul on terry rozier on a completely legitimate offensive foul yeah it was uh, we saw lebron i thought the first six minutes or so he kind of played the way he played it in game three and then he got much much more aggressive but that actually got him a couple of offensive fouls as well two of which were uh on rozier there was that charge which i thought was a pretty good charge and then he also went up for an alley-oop and rozier did a nice job switching on him and got pushed in the back he had another play where he hit marcus smart in the face and then he clearly fouled your upgrade i mean all four of the calls were legitimate but I would have left him out there too if I were Tyron Lue because LeBron almost never fouls out of games. Um, so I thought it was the right decision to leave him in with three and he got his fourth. But then Kyrie Irving immediately started cooking. Once LeBron got his fourth foul, Kyrie then scored 33 points in the next 19 minutes. And importantly, considering how part of LeBron's MVP case was the team falling apart without him, in that 645 where he didn't, where he had to come out, the lead state ended up the same, but went, it went back and forth a little little bit and the Cavs scored 117 points per 100 possessions during that time which is pretty awesome for them without LeBron yeah and Boston did defend them quite well but I thought a key was that they just stopped turning the ball over they had I think eight turnovers in the first quarter I want to say uh or very close there too and Kyrie started going off and that was really huge for them and I thought Boston both with some ugly turnovers 
some missed open threes really missed a chance to go up into the high like up by high teens in at halftime and that might have made it a little bit more difficult to come back Cleveland probably would have done it anyway frankly but it was really some missed opportunities there they ended up building that 10 point lead at halftime based mostly just on more possessions they held Cleveland to one offensive rebound they got on the offensive glass a, a fair amount and then they forced those turnovers and didn't turn it over hardly at all themselves and then in the third quarter it turned into a disaster despite Kerry's heroics which we can talk more about but in the third quarter in which Cleveland outscored Boston 40 to 19 Boston turned it over on 23 percent of their possessions including four of their first seven possessions which really got Cleveland's momentum going there and Boston just couldn't score I mean I thought that was the bigger problem for them uh with only 23 points on 26 possessions they had been killing them and and, uh Cleveland made some nice defensive adjustments they were getting killed on slips of screens and then they were able to switch a little bit more they increased the pressure as well on Boston Boston didn't shoot it as well they turned it over more and I think they all brought more energy I thought Kevin Love's defense in this game was actually outstanding it was he led the game with six deflections and was just active there making also not necessarily contesting shots but just being in the way which is incredibly important also I believe he set a playoff career high in rebounding with 17 and just a a nice game from him top to bottom and you wouldn't think that a game a guy getting a 17 17 and 5 would be his box score would be underrating his performance but I would say that it did for 11 this game yeah and he's always actually been a guy who graded out really well by some of the plus minus metrics and I mean he he also had some dominating offensive rebounds lately like he had one where he stared down Jay Crowder afterwards where Crowder had him boxed out and love with one hand held him off and then like turned his turned his right hand inside out and reached over Crowder and grabbed the rebound and, and got a foul late to kind of put the game away and I think he, he really he's still despite the fact that he's lost a bunch of weight and plays out in the perimeter much more I think he still loves getting down there on the offensive glass and that's something that might be crucial in the next series for love let's get to Kyrie Irving though and when he really got going in this second quarter or I'm sorry in the first in the second quarter and then in the third I mean they had Avery Bradley on him um and Kyrie hit like a big three in his face that's one thing Bradley doesn't have a ton of length to get out if he's not right up on the guy and Kyrie started hitting really difficult shots on him then Terry Rozier got absolutely roasted uh both before and after Kyrie sprained his ankle um which we thought might be more of a tweak than it was be interesting to see whether that swells up on him and they consider holding him out of game five now with this dominating lead in the series but the way he went down you thought it might be bad but then after seeing the replay it didn't look like too bad of a tweak and and he was able to warm it up and keep playing and also the the fact that he can jump off his right foot and still finish with his right hand so easily as well is also huge so it it was I mean mean, some of the shots that he made were just completely ridiculous like the first one after he sprained the ankle uh not the one where he got like off of two feet where he got like that lob pass from LeBron which was a ridiculous pass but then when he drove from the right side into the lane pulled up over the help defense and on his right foot right hand leaning back and one was just like one of those unbelievable shots that really you know he's one of the few guys in the league who can make that type of play he was incredible Kyrie especially in the playoffs just his ability to create and his ability to make tough shots are both out of this world special and I want to go through a little bit of his third quarter just because you don't see this very often so you mentioned that Boston this there was a 40 23 quarter so Boston had 23 points Kyrie Irving had 21 points in the third quarter 
on 10 shots and 10 shooting possessions because he only had one free throw, which was on an and one. And so you'd say, okay, you know, maybe he made a bunch of threes. No, he was two of three from threes. He just didn't miss from two. He was eight of eight or eight of or seven of seven on twos and just annihilated what was at points good defense at points bad defense, but it didn't matter. He was just killing it. Yeah, and then he did most of his damage in the third quarter, and then LeBron James went to work in the fourth, and you know, LeBron was criticized. He only took 13 shots in game three. He took 18 shots in the second half alone, making up for, but I think he had taken nine shots in the first half before he went out as well so he took a ton of shots but was efficient 10 out of 18 uh did hit a big three late although his jumper has not been quite as money uh as it had been earlier in the playoffs and and boston's strategy early actually was not guarding him at the three-point line which actually kind of worked a little bit but he got it going in the fourth hit three out of four for mid-range including one that turnaround jumper that he had in the post late clock on marcus smart where he just basically jumped with his feet facing the baseline like barely looked at the rim over his right shoulder and made it like that was just a completely preposterous shot there was a i mean i I think that i'm not really sure what more boston could have done defensively in in a lot of ways i mean i think more marcus smart on Kyrie would have helped because i think smart's length when Kyrie really gets going with the jumper is is probably the best way to deal with him in iso um because Kyrie was really a lot of it was just iso on the right wing um and that's where he put rosier in particular in the torture chamber but in some of these shots there's just nothing you can do about him basically and boston doesn't have although al horford is a solid rim protector and solid moving his feet he had to guard kevin love so that didn't really work very well oh i guess i I did think of something boston could have done differently not played tyler zeller a single minute because he was awful once again that would have helped and even with amir johnson out like like al horford didn't play that many minutes right he only he was only on like 24 minutes at the end of the third quarter and they just didn't bring him back fast enough i thought although i mean he did play he did play 21 minutes in the second half so it's hard to say that they should have played it more but i mean go to jarebko more jarebko only played 952 alinek only played eight minutes and zeller you know, ended up playing 212, but he was negative five in that period. And that's part of when they, they really were getting roasted. Uh, I mean, I know it's like you know, five points in two minutes is not very good. And a lot of that was directly at his expense. Uh, Kyrie in the pick and roll just completely broke his ankles on, on one play. It might not be possible to do this, but I wish that they could count free throws for the people who were on the floor when the foul occurred, as opposed to the people who were on the floor when the shot occurred, because he was actually yeah. negative six, but he was, he was off the floor for that last shot, which I believe he committed that foul or he was involved i think he blew the play whether he was his foul or not something something else that i hadn't noticed during the course of the game is that jay crowder was the only celtic to hit more than one three-pointer he he was four of seven he did a nice job he hit a couple with some real confidence behind it but they were just getting some shaky shooting performances and one of the things we were looking at i put it second on our bullet points for the twitter nba show was marcus smart's shot selection and his success his selection as expected not particularly great and his success was distinctly awful because he was one for nine and that one make was a banker you know I, he went seven for ten last game i thought he was gonna improve i thought he's gonna go eight for ten in this game no he, he did not do that he uh he did get to the foul line a little bit with uh some more bs uh, three shot fouls although he then indirectly caused jay crowder uh to injure what looked like his groin uh because he smart flopped for a three shot foul and then crowder next time down actually slipped on the pool of sweat uh under smart although the arena should be able to clean that up while the ball was down at the other end of the floor because uh, i think there was a trip back and forth on that i can't remember whether there was or there wasn't but either way i mean why do you, i don't know if you caught it but there was actually a play during the i think it was the 
third quarter before that where a guy fell near Cleveland's bench and I think it was Richard Jefferson just like threw his towel on the ground and wiped it up before the guys came back. He just did it himself. So it's not 3-1 Cleveland. LeBron James doesn't suck as everyone seemed to think that he did after that one bad game that he's had in the playoffs. He had 34. Kyrie had 42. Love had 17. Nobody else on the team had more than seven. They did play Kyle Korver quite a bit. Korver actually had an interesting line plus 12 in 20 minutes and did not attempt a field goal. But I thought he did well also defensively. And we saw that just Boston still does not really have anyone dynamic. I felt that especially as they started to struggle, a lot of it ended up being Avery Bradley pick and roll, then switching Tristan Thompson onto him. And Avery Bradley has no chance off the dribble against Tristan Thompson or most guys. But I mean, he's just, he's that's not the type of player he is. He comes off of screens. You know, he goes back door. And I felt like they could have gone to smart more in the post against Irving especially once he got hobbled they could have gone to Jalen Brown more when he was guarded by Corver. I think got, going to a more Cleveland-like offense to just try and create some shots I know that's not what Brad Stevens believes in but when every possession was just devolving into a late clock switch with Avery Bradley trying to go one-on-one and Bradley struggled to a 7 of 19 shooting one of seven on threes it was just too difficult and thought they could have maybe gone into the post more with Horford. Horford, I thought seven of 11. I mean, he had some real tough shots in the post. Also had seven assists. He had a wonderful game. Um, So I, I think offensively, they're going to have to come up with something a little bit different. That adjustment of just slipping every screen and getting into the lane, I thought uh, with, with their bigs and then setting up corner threes worked great in the first half. Uh, but I think Cleveland was able to finally shut that down with superior talent. LeBron James was more engaged as well. That helped love, of course, was excellent but i mean how about putting kevin love in a pick and roll you know instead of uh, tristan thompson i mean the, you're especially you're playing with two bigs on the floor have love's guy come up and set the screen instead um you know i mean they had horford and Olenek out there so one of the either of those guys is quite capable of setting the screen and and whoever's guarded by love should be able to do that another little wrinkle i wanted to mention just because both of us, but especially you enjoyed it so much, was a play where Boston essentially pre-shorted their own pick and roll and just got an absolutely beautiful look for Kelly Olynyk out of it. Yeah, that was nice where, and again, shorting, if you don't know what that is, it's basically when they are trapping the pick and roll, you throw it to the wing and then the wing has the passing angle to get the, the roll man on the dive uh, because it's really hard to throw that pass over two guys when you're being trapped. Uh, and so they actually did it before the screen even got set and that worked great but you know you can only really get by with stuff like that for so long when you're relying on that and then if it doesn't work out you end up in the late clock and you got no one to to create a shot I mean and that stuff works great because especially with Golden State because they got Clay Thompson and Seth Curry out there and 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 now this year Kevin Durant so you got to really bite on that you're freaked out whenever those guys might get open and that's how all the backdoor stuff opens up if you don't have dynamic scores and shooters that the defense is worried about you can only go so far with that type of deception. So at this it, point, I, it feels like it's more just a matter of when, not if. But that's still, I, I, I don't mean that in a way to just denigrate the Celtics. It's just that, especially without Isaiah, they're just not a good enough team. Yeah, and we saw Cleveland finally solve their defense. And again, I thought their defense was pretty good. They didn't make too many mistakes. And when you've got Smart and Bradley in the backcourt, I mean, that's probably the best defensive backcourt in the league if you're playing those two guys. But it's also probably one of the worst offensive backcourts in the league. And 
man while having great shooting and passing big men like Olenek and Horford helps some to make your the life a lot easier for their limited perimeter players you know again that can only go so far especially when you have individual defenders like someone like Tristan Thompson as a big defender who can get out on the floor and guard late in the clock if only there were a way that they could make their backcourt better offensively all right uh let's talk about Markel Fultz but first this is from our friends at, at Harry's Shave Dan I know you really love their foaming shave gel I do it's a product that I, I've been looking for a good shave gel for a long time and I had no expectations and just kind of you know rece- received Harry's and just was going through all of the different materials and just went wow this is great and I've been using it ever since and I don't think I'm ever going to look back yeah this is your chance at harrys.com slash cap space that URL can get you five dollars off one of their shave sets just in time for Father's Day they have a limited edition Father's Day set comes with a storm gray razor handle chrome razor stand foaming shave gel which Danny so enjoys three replacement blades and a travel cover and it's packaged in a sleek giftable box I happen to really like their razors. They they have great wash through, an industry term. It, you can shave faster because you put after you shaved once. And I kind of I don't shave that often, if you know, from watching uh, the tour NBA show. So when I do shave, you know, I've got like a lot of whiskers in there. And on a normal razor, it takes a while to wash it out. But Harry's actually has better wash through, so I can wash it out and get back to shaving and uh, get the process done with faster using their shave gel and and their great razors, which are manufactured in Germany. They actually bought a factory in Germany to manufacture their razors harry's also has a hundred percent quality guarantee so they'll give you a full refund if you are not happy once again the way to get started with them harrys.com slash cap space right now harrys will give you five dollars off one of their shave sets this is for a limited time only so act out that's harrys.com slash cap space for five dollars off and of course to let them know that you came from us well the first three prospects that we looked at i like jonathan isaac jason tatum someone actually sent me a, a video of tatum from drafts express hitting 18 straight nba three-pointers and supposedly he's reworked working his shot and he, you know he does shoot a very high percentage from the line too so i'm not saying he can't improve his nba three-pointer quite a bit but you know we hear that about every single draft prospect so it's hard to separate the wheat from the shaft there but tatum josh jackson jonathan isaac you know guys who are being talked about in the top five i wasn't like so wowed by any of them as a top five prospect i had seen a little bit of marco fultz not as much as a lot of people just saw him really for one day at the hoop summit practice and then the game and you know seen a little bit of highlights here and there he's worth it he's worth the number one pick to me he was totally impressive offensively and you know i I was definitely wowed by his skill level and and i think you know he's definitely watching him you're like okay this is what a number one overall picked in the draft is supposed to look like he is absolutely tantalizing because you see these moments with him and they just they just make you say oh my god if he could do this with any frequency like some of the dribble moves that he got some of the separation he could generate you're just sitting there going oh my god like this is this is legitimately special and some of it was against you know the western michigans of the world but some of it was also against the pac-12 competition they played and the flashes he shows are at that incredibly bright level i don't think he's that not not even the the, like the first tier the first tier of like number one picks is like the lebron type where it's like no chance they miss i'm not sure he's in that second group which is more like carl anthony towns where it's like an exceedingly low chance but he's still clearly to me worthy of the the status that is being the the top prospect in, in this draft or most drafts yeah and i'm not saying gonna say he's better than lonzo ball yet i haven't watched enough of ball to say uh, but i mean just looking at him and being like okay like i feel comfortable that this guy is is good enough to be a number one overall pick i, I definitely felt that I and mean, when you and i watched we sat down and watched him for about two hours today we just basically watched like all of his possessions uh during the year probably got through about two-thirds of them I and mean, we 
probably rewound it like 15 times where like oh shit look at that move type of stuff and he plays with a very unique style he kind of bounces in and out of his moves and you know he's very smooth but then when he kind of he'll kind of get up on his toes as as he's moving pretty quickly and then get into a move whether it's an inside out dribble whether it's he does these great live dribble spin moves that are awesome whether it's a step back whether it's a crossover and he's got this big looping crossover that would drive Fred Hoiberg completely crazy. I guess he just hates any dynamic guard out of the University of Washington. Uh, But just his moves off the drill are are truly special. His operation in the pick and roll. I mean, that's that's the biggest thing is just how many moves he has, how many times he's able to blow by guys, split defenders, just make your jaw drop with some of these moves that he has off the dribble in transition, semi-transition coming off the pick and roll in an ISO situation. I mean, you just, you know, if you were a running back, you'd talk about how he makes guys miss, you know, and that's what he does. He makes guys miss in on the basketball court. I don't think he's all the way there in terms of maximizing the separation he creates, but think back to D'Angelo Russell, a guy that I liked and I think I was a little bit too high on compared to where I should have been. Not that he's a bad player, but he's just not where I wanted him to be. And it's that idea of, of separation. And if you can get that, you can generally make it work. And his passing vision is, is, is good. It's not elite. You know, it's not Ricky Rubio. It's nothing like that. But what I love about him is he has the building block that most guys would kill for. And you can figure the rest out. Yeah. And actually, I, I watched a little bit more tonight also after you went home. And I I think in when you're watching full games instead of just his assists, his passing can actually look better because he had just these terrible bigs on this team that would just like bobble every pass out of bounds or like get their shot blocked or something. So when you're looking at all of his assists, like sometimes that doesn't show up as well. Had a nice eye for skip pass. And this wasn't a team that had a ton of spacing. They didn't really have anybody else really who could do a ton on this team. They were really bad, especially defensively, which we'll get to. His defense is uh, is a problem, but that he's going to really need to put some work in on. But I mean, I think I would. And I think he led the Pac-12 in assists or something like that, or, or close, no, maybe that was Ball. But he was, he was definitely you know six and a half assists or whatever. Really good for a college point guard, especially with his scoring mentality. So I think like he definitely is not selfish, especially early in games he's probably even guilty of running the offense and letting their other crappy players do too much um and, and so i i think he's gonna be definitely a very solid passer and i wouldn't rule out him becoming like a very good passer at the nba level especially when you consider how much he'll be able to attack it in space if you put some shooting around him. i mean god for, with the shooting and the system that boston has i mean he's gonna be fantastic i also really like the way he attacks with a live dribble i think he's gonna be early on in boston system if they draft him very effective in that way where he's able to kind of catch it smoothly on the move and make you know a, a really slick move get right into his move by crossing over he almost like has started his dribble before he catches the ball and uh so it just he's got so many moves it's really really impressive what he's able to do off off the dribble at 6-5 with a, a 6-10 wingspan um what do you think about his shooting he's more confident in his jump shot than i am in his jump shot but it goes in pretty frequently so i can't knock it too much i'm a little bit queasy more on his runner floater kind of from 10 feet and in i'm that makes me uncomfortable i think he can get better at that but i mean it's yeah, hard he was to, okay off two i thought he was good off two feet but his one foot runner definitely needs some work yeah that that's a good that's a good way of putting it and you also worry because he shot 65 percent from the free throw line and just like anybody else he's shooting more free throws than threes so you you think about that a little bit i think he'll be okay but those are saying like oh he's definitely going to be a knockdown shooter or something like that I, i'm not i'm not at that point at all yet 
But what did you see? Well, he shot 41% on three-pointers, which is ridiculous. And he's able to rise up over a contest that doesn't really seem to bother him that much. I mean, but his shot is still a little inconsistent. Like he has, a, he has this instinctive feel. He has these great moves, but he still has a lot about his game that he's got to tighten up. Uh, and whether that's shooting the same shot every single time, that's a big part of it. Um, so, you know, I'm not going to say he's going to be a 40% three-point shooter in the NBA. I mean, he does have the ability to come off of screens and rise up. You know, he may need to, I didn't see him pulling up like from NBA range. He's pulling up for the college three and a lot of times contested and shooting over guys, you know, especially if he's going to be guarded by a point guard. Uh, you know, he's going to be able to get to his spot and rise up over smaller point guards very easily. But I don't know if he can take that exact same, same type of shot from NBA three. You know, I think it may take him a couple of years to get comfortable from that range you know he wasn't he's not like Lonzo Ball where he's pulling up like you know from NBA range on a regular basis I also thought actually that his finishing was a little bit disappointing to me uh he gets there so easily to the rim but you know not he's not really gonna like dunk on people that often every once in a while come in but he's kind of more like a length dunker he can explode but again like he a lot of times like you and I were sitting there watching it and like you know it looks like he gets to the rim and he's got like a shot that you would expect him to finish and he just you know wouldn't quite make it so I think as he gets stronger maybe a little more athletic gets more used to uh dealing with quality size at the room i think he can get better at that i'm also a little bit concerned though my one concern about him offensively is whether he can be efficient so i don't know for sure if he's going to be you know a high 30s three-point shooter um and you know i think he can punish the defense if they go under and he's open but uh and coming off a screen you know maybe that that's not necessarily going to be his game and then a lot of the fouls that he got were kind of like bs college fouls not plays where he's really attacking the big and getting into their body and aggressively drawing contact and his free throw rate is not that high. It's only like 35%, which is not enormous for a college guard. And he doesn't really have any kind of like bullshit foul drawing capability like we see from NBA guards. But few college guards have that. Most most guys, it takes them being in the NBA and the NBA to develop that. But if he's not getting to the foul line a ton and he's not hitting his free throws at a great percentage, I think he'll get better there. You know, I think he'll end up being, you know, a high 70s free throw shooter eventually because he's just, he's too good from outside to be that, uh, to shoot 65% from the line all the time. You know, I think he'll just tighten up and kind of get better at it. Like, I mean, he, that's one of the, the things I would say about him is he just has so much natural talent and there's just like a lot of things that he just needs to tighten up and get more consistent at. But I mean, that natural talent that ability off the dribble his ability to rise up from mid-range the passing ability which is is very solid in pick and roll i mean he's an elite pick and roll scorer it's just not something that you can teach so he's got the stuff that you can't teach and i think the stuff that you can teach he can get a lot better at a couple of basics with him just in case people don't have the visual for faults about six four and about a six nine wingspan there are a couple different measurements for him from 2016 from the hoop summit and team usa that that kind of go one direction or the other on that but i think that's a good calibrator for him still 185 i think if he could put on a little bit more weight it would help as long as he doesn't lose any of his quickness because that's part of what makes him special the other thing i wanted to say in that kind of vein is i think back to a very different position but alex len when he played at maryland he just had nobody don't, around don't him you, don't you dare reference alex len and marco fultz in, in the same no sense. there's a reason for it and it's because
because I thought that it was hard to evaluate parts of what Len did at Maryland just because his teammates were so bad. And what Marco Fultz has is, in many ways, while players like his potential future teammate Isaiah Thomas have pushed point guard in a little bit of a different direction, in many ways, point guard is still a talent distribution position. And I, when you were you were out of the room for a couple minutes, I was watching some De'Aaron Fox highlights, and he, a lot of his assists were just passing to like a, a, a four who could shoot. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. Other teams have those guys. That's something that Markel Fultz could really use. Yeah, those, I mean, the, he definitely, if you put him in, in with a big who can pick and pop, for example, I mean, like that's something we didn't see any of that, you know, he's probably, he's going to play with plenty. I mean, he's going to play with Al Horford for sure. And, you know, maybe Kelly Olenek will still be around as well. Um, let's get to his defense though. It sucks. It's really bad. Washington's defense overall was really bad. I mean, I watched two full games of him. I maybe saw him get into a stance and slide his feet once over the course of those entire two games. And other than like every once in a while who go for like a chase down block, uh, that's the only time I ever really thought like, wow, this guy is hustling. Like he just doesn't really make hustle plays. He was okay on the glass, you know, 13% defensive rebound rate. But a lot of those, you know, you didn't see him just like skying over guys to get defensive rebounds. Um, and he certainly was part of a terrible defensive culture. Their defense was terrible last year. Like Lorenzo Ramar got fired. I'm not going to comment on whether he should have been or not, but uh, definitely was not exactly teaching great defense these last few years. So, I mean, I think a lot of his coaching, but I also, I mean, he is, he's more of a smooth athlete than an unbelievable athlete and his ability to change speeds and his ability to attack in, in a straight line and then like subtly change direction or go for a Euro step. That's a different movement than sliding your feet, getting your butt down, getting those short choppy steps where you really get up on guys. He does have that six nine six ten wingspan so i think he can definitely you know guard ones or twos uh i think he's gonna get pretty strong uh, pretty soon you know he's got like a nice frame for sure but just anytime he moved you know whether it was a closeout you know he he would just kind of run at the guy and there's no breaking down into a stance and trying to slide you know or even if he's in a zone defense he's just like running straight he's not sliding um the rare times he would try to get into a stance he would not get his butt low enough and would get out of it very quickly so you know he's just he's, he's gonna have to learn how to do it but he does not have uh, any kind of instincts for defense um you know he gets some steals he gets some blocks so and a lot of that's but you just you almost never see him really with any kind of intensity out on the floor and you know i don't want to say that because he's a quieter kid or because he doesn't show a ton of emotion on the floor that like you can't be a good defensive player like tim duncan is one of the best defensive players of all time and he didn't do any of that but it does show into the pattern of he's just he's not playing with intensity and you know he's playing 36 minutes a game or whatever and, and has a 30 percent usage rate in a college game so you know i'm not going to say that he can't learn that but i definitely didn't see it at all I mean, he had some of the worst defense that i've seen from a guard prospect in a long time at least on one with his physical tools on defense he reminds me a little bit of Kyrie in that you see the physical potential for him to be decent but you don't see it in his play very frequently and so that can be frustrating but at the same point when you are, you know, in your 19 year old kid, I'm not going to write him off in any way, shape or form doing that. But we still have to see a whole heck of a lot more, not only in terms of awareness, but also just intention and activity. And a benefit of being in an NBA system is that that will be, they will do their best, whether they can succeed or not, they will do their best at basically indoctrinating him. And that being on the Celtics will help that even more, just if, if that's where, it, where he ends up going, just because that's the only way he's really going to see the floor 
that much unless they do something like trade Isaiah. So he can get some of that foundational work. But again, it goes into the idea of natural tools. Like what he can be is pretty incredible. Whether he gets there on the defensive end is unlikely, but possible. The Kyrie analogy is an interesting one, but Kyrie, at least we know he can't get over screens, but if he's like in an ISO, we've seen him actually move his feet and guard a little bit, whereas Fultz maybe he can do it but i wouldn't know because i never even saw him attempt to slide with anyone <laughs> so uh it really i mean i think he maybe did it one time and he didn't look like you know that quick and again he's not he's a smooth athlete he takes big steps he changed direction it's not those short choppy intense steps you know waving around getting your chest in, into the guy's face moving with like really quick small steps you know i think it's somewhat similar i mean i think he's hopefully won't be on this level but kind of similar to jamar Derozan as well where DeRozan has that ability to jump at the rim he's got those euro steps Markel is much more dynamic off the dribble I think than DeRozan just in terms of his speed and transition and the moves that he has um not the finisher at the rim that DeRozan is and DeRozan is a bigger guy uh, as a peer too but just in terms of like he reminded me a lot of DeRozan just from a defensive standpoint and I'm not saying he's, that he can't get there but I mean we just we've seen zero evidence of that on film other than just the fact that he's a pretty athletic guy on offense and has pretty good wingspan and every once in a while he'd get up for like a chase down block off of one foot anything else you feel like here I was trying to think of if we could each pick a, a favorite pl- highlight of the plays that we saw but I'm not sure I could pick a single one actually I have one in my head that lefty dribble he had I can't remember what, what it, he had a, like a kind of he had kind of a crossover and then went into a lefty dribble and just kind of took off and I was just like oh wow like that yeah. was it was it was special no I mean he just he does interesting stuff that you just don't see and actually one of those I this is the one that I think I I uh highlighted on Twitter that Jabari Parker did which you know obviously is Jabari's at a larger size but where he basically like crossed over and then did like a, a hesitation after the crossover that really just froze the defender so he, he's got that i mean these live dribble spin moves are just like you got to see these to believe i mean if, if you haven't watched it yet the draft express video the extended one uh that mike schmitz did is good but like we saw probably like you know another like 10 wow plays in the in the possessions that we looked at outside of the ones that schmitz highlighted in the video um yeah, I mean, some of the stuff that he does off the drill is just completely insane. All right, I think that's all I got. Though. Oh, I think it's the other thing I would say, too, is if they want to play him and Isaiah Thomas in the same backcourt, they are never going to stop anybody next year. Their bigs would get <laughs> so many fouls. It's going to be a it will be a complete disaster. Like, and and he's pretty young. Like, he's he doesn't even turn 19, I think, until the end of the month. So he's young for a, a guy who's in the draft after their freshman year. But it's very difficult for me to imagine that he can get to playing like playoff Boston Celtics level of defense in just one year. And I think he, he could have a season where you know, he comes in off the bench, he plays backup point guard, he shows all these wild factors. The fans are like, why the hell isn't he playing more? And the answer is because he just you know cannot play winning basketball in the defensive end. And so maybe that maybe, but it's possible though that that'll be good for him. You know, where he is forced to tighten up on that end, and you know he'll be forced to like much like Jalen Brown tighten up his. Spot spot up shooting some of the the plays that you need to make winning basketball that he does have to get better at maybe he'll be just be forced to do that early in his career to get on the floor whereas you know if he goes to the sacramento kings or something which would have been impossible of course because uh as the graphic overlaying dave yeager told us at the lottery they had a 0.0 percent chance at the number one pick this year but if he went there then he's just got the ball in his hands all the time he's worried about scoring and you know there's no accountability because there's no one behind him and he just has to he's going to just play every game regardless of whether he gets better or not so 
maybe this will be a better thing long term for his career to go to the Celtics maybe just in the same way that Jalen Brown has experienced that uh but we'll see I, I would uh but uh, you know I definitely would be very fired up as a Celtics fan to, to watch this guy next year he's a special talent absolutely a special talent and since it sounds like we're about at the end I'll, I'll plug that my Spurs preview came out on Tuesday and I don't know for sure but I'm guessing it's going to be my Pacers one that comes out on Wednesday at SI yeah the my Pacers and Grizzlies previews are the two previews every year that usually get the lowest number of listens so I kind of take that as a proxy for whoever has the smallest fan base so uh look forward to no one reading your piece I guess is, is my oh point it's there. it's at the it's at the wonderful sports illustrated people will read it people care about yeah. what i write no that, that that's true and given some of the smaller outlets that you and i have written for including ones that we uh named in rather unfortunate fashion at hey, times i love the uh, name of my small outlet thank you very much vegan fish tacos yeah there's a story behind it it's on the about page <laughs> is that, that that website actually still exists huh damn straight I, I let i let the team rebound expire this year i didn't really have any use for it anymore uh all right we're rambling here don't forget of our sponsors today blinkist blinkist.com slash catspace you can get three months off your year-long subscription or you can get a free trial and harry's harry's.com slash catspace you can get five dollars off one of their shave sets we'll be back tomorrow with more awesome nba content till then pulling up to mickey d's just for drinks oh yeah that's me nothing extra just perfection and a straw Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.